What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of The Biz. I'm your host, Melly Mel, and this is season one, episode seven to be exact. If you haven't already, make sure you like and subscribe to the page to stay up on all the latest that we put out. I mean, we put out new content on a weekly basis, so make sure you check it out. Now, today's guest is owner of Music Matters Entertainment, Craig Davis. He's worked with artists like the Fat Boys, Eric B and Rakim, LL Cool J, Run DMC, Master P, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Usher, Chris Brown, Sierra. The list goes on and on and on. Make sure you check it out right now. Craig, what's going on, man? I appreciate your time. Hey, Mel, what's going on, baby? Man, listen, we haven't we we talk a lot, but we haven't seen each other in I'm gonna say like five years at least. It has been since Wilmington, Delaware days. That's right. <laughs> and we're at the radio station. Maybe you was working a shift. Last yeah. time I walked in on you. Yeah, it's you been know? a long time, right? It has been. It has been. How you doing? How's everything? I'm doing good, man. Staying healthy. You know, I'm yeah, down fifty pounds. Better. I can't complain. That's good. Congratulations. Congratulations. I it. Um, let's get right into it. Uh, so what made you decide to get into the music industry? I've always loved music. It's just my dad says, and and he always quotes people when he talk about me. I've known he was going to be in the music business since he's been seven. He's always loved music. Mm. I can remember my first time being addicted, and it actually really is an addiction is. of music. Is when I was at my aunt's house on during a holiday, and she had one of those high five stereo systems, and I was six, learning just learning how to put a turntable on, and I put a James Brown record on. It was cold, cold sweat. And that record just was, I kept listening to it and listening to it and it just hooked me. And that's Musical. what you do. James Brown hooked me. Yep. James <laughs> Brown definitely hooked me. If I can go back. So I've always loved music. Um, used to go to sleep with music every night. Mm. I was a DJ at a ripe age of probably 15 or 16. Wow. Doing parties for friends and doing do parties for this high school and doing parties, then doing being a club DJ. Okay. Um, I was a club DJ at 17 and a half, 18, working in clubs in New York and in New Jersey, North Jersey. Back then, um, clubs were big business, Zanzibar, you know, you had Studio 54, you had, those were the big ones, but everybody had, every town had a, a nightclub or yeah. as they would call them, discotheque. Right. So at a young age, I, I grabbed records and I found out I could get paid for playing records and I love playing records. So I was a yeah. DJ for many, many years. Right. You know? So what happened after that? Um, was in college, went to college, um, studied marketing and, uh, was a radio job at the radio station and found out that I can go to New York city, which I, my college was about five miles from New York city in New Jersey, fairly Dickinson. And I found out if you can go to the record labels on a certain day, you can get your free records. And I was like, what? Wow. So on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I would go into the city and I would go to uh, every record company to get records to DJ with. Wow. And I have a hell of a vinyl collection. Back then it was 33 labels that we would go to. Atlantic, Warner Brothers. Um, every day, I mean, every, Delight, every, every Wednesday. Yep. Wow. London Records, South Soul Records, RCA Records. Um, and they would give them away free? Some, I didn't know that. Away free, yep. Wow, I didn't know that. One of my one of the longest industry people in the world is Izzy Sanchez. I used to get my records from Izzy Sanchez when he was the, the disco promotion person at Atlantic Records. Wow. Yep. So that's yep. what got you like into on the label side after that? You know what? I was really interested in music. I was interested in what people did in the label. But honestly, when I was at that young age, when I was going through college, I was noticing that 
when um, an administrative administration change would happen, the people that was doing promotion would get fired. Yeah. I'd be like, dang, he was just here last week and yeah. he got fired. Yeah. And I would find out that would happen often. The turnover rates were really, really heavy um, when I first started. And I'm gonna say that was in, a, in the late 70s. Um, okay. Yes, I'm old, my butt's old. So in the late 70s, it was disco music. Um, people were, the labels were really, really thriving. They were selling a lot of vinyl. They were gold records, 12 inches were gold and everybody was have, were doing really, really well with it. But it seemed like just the turnover was so great. So when I actually, when I got out of college, I didn't want to get in the record industry. Mm. I was like, forget the agriculture industry. It's too volatile for me. And I started working for CBS Publications, which is Women's Day, Field and Track. I did all that. Yeah. Moved uh, to another marketplace, lost my job, and had to go back, fall back on DJing. Mm. I was actually homeless at one point in time. Oh, and, a wow. friend, and a friend let me stay on his living room couch. I... Um, I continued DJing. That was the only thing that fed me. I DJed, I DJed, and I was just a really, really good DJ when I moved to into this new market, which was Philadelphia. So I moved from North Jersey to Philadelphia, and I became a, a real popular DJ in, in Philadelphia because I was such a good DJ in North Jersey. Um, I DJed wow. for a lot of different events and big uh, uh, affairs, and then Power 99 came on the air, and I was like, I want to be a mixer on Power 99. And I went and got became the first mixer on Power 99. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. First mixer on Power 99. Um, Fred Bugs, Jeff Wyatt, BJ in the morning. Yeah. Uh, who am I missing? Lorraine. Lorraine Ballard always did traffic and all that stuff in Philadelphia. Yeah. And it was a new station. DAS was the competition. And I was the mixer. I did the super mixes for the station. And I did that for a couple of years. Wow. And at a, that really got my popularity as a DJ and being on the radio that happened. And then one day, a gentleman named Alan Lott said, hey, I need someone to do um, record promotions. And I didn't know what record promotions was. But when I moved to Philadelphia, I did start a record pool. So I had a record pool and I had about 10 or 15 jocks that we would do records and have a record pool. So I kind of knew what the different clubs were in Philadelphia. I always knew what the retail stores were in Philadelphia. Right. So I started working for him. He worked for Universal Distributors, which was a distributor. Every city had a major record distributor that sold product to the majors would sell to, and they would be the middleman that would go to the record store. So Universal was distributed and we worked for Universal. Right. And I worked for Allen. And that how I, that's how I got into promotions, which was really weird. You know, a good friend of mine, Fred Bugs, I didn't know anything about it. And I asked Fred, what do you think? And he said, man, try it. And went into record promotions. And then there, I became a record promotion guy. Wow. So did you, so were you still DJing too, or you gave it up? I, you know what? I DJ to a certain point, but after a while, I did give it up. Um, Alan Lott's uh, children is Damon Lott, who's a vice president over at Atlantic Records and his daughter's a national over at Universal, Danielle Lott. Yeah. Um, I'm Alan Lott, and, and back in those days, when I started in the promotion business, we had some great, great promotion guys, and they were great elders to me and brought me up in the business. And I, I'm just so thankful. I was in the right time and the right place where I had great elders. Um, Troy Dudley, who's one of the vice presidents of Universal, his dad was another one of my 
mentors and one of my elders. And I had a lot of great elders in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was a very, very giving and protective in a family-like environment. When it came to the music business, we all, everybody in promotion knew everybody. Right. Um, Alan took me for the, one of the first people he introduced me was Ruben Rodriguez, who rest, recently passed. And the other person he introduced me to, Ruben said, man, Ruben used to put up my posters. And he introduced me to Sylvia Rome, very on and Sylvia. He said, Sylvia, I started Sylvia out and she used to be my assistant. So I, I had a real great nurturing and real well-rounded uh, bringing up in a record business. Now, when I first started um, the records, I worked were hip hop records because the hip hop records were the indie records. Mm. The actual first record that Alan had me work was Divine Beings, What People Do For Money. Wow, I was going to ask you, what was your first record? Do you remember yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, my first promo tour was taking Run DMC outside of Philadelphia for their first Philadelphia promo tour. Larry Lara, who was the producer of their first Larry song. Larry. Yeah, I got, that, I got the cassette. Yep. I got his cassette tape. Wow. <laughs> I still have his albums. Yeah. Really? He had a, a red Cadillac, a 75 Cadillac. And I remember Jam Master Jay had the two 1200s and behind, you know, how they had the Cadillacs had that big old thing in the back right there. And everybody drove in town and they did radio. Um, wow. Mimi did radio on one station and um, Lady B was at WHAT and she was, she was the girl. She did her thing. And wow. she interviewed them. So I do remember that. Those were great things. My first time doing road manager was with the Fat Boys. Whoa. <laughs> I remember New Edition as they first started running all over the place. And it was really, really interesting back then. We, none of us knew what hip hop was going to be. Yeah. We really didn't. We were, it was just a new genre of music that we all loved and we thought was, was something for us. I mean, I remember taking Andre Harrell around when he was Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. They were a rap group. Um, I remember Captain Rock. I remember so many records back in those days that it was like uh, they were first records and, you know, we worked it. Um, Profile was a real pioneer when it came to the labels. Yes. And then I met Russell Simmons um, through Al a lot and he was starting Def Jam. Mm. And I remember Russell started the... A uh, company was out of his loft and he had um, four people living in, working out of his living room, dining room, and he had his bedroom. And Andre Harrell was working with him, Bill Adler. Uh, he had a great uh, assistant, Heidi, um, and Bill Stephanie. And I was kind of like the guy that would feed them information and let them know about out of town. So it was kind of like we were like originally there. I remember Orange Juice Jones was the real first, first release of of Russell and at Def Jam. I remember when Beastie Boys was right after that. I remember LL Cool J coming into the office with a little tiny chain. So all those events were just like really, it was great times back then, early hip hop. Wow. You, um, you know what's funny, Um, you went back to Russell um, just working in his loft or whatever. You said something, I think this happened yesterday on IG. You said that if you're not, um, I, I, I got it wrong, but you said if you're not working weekends and nights and evenings, then you don't want it enough. Right. Yeah. That true. And that is, you hit that right on the head, man. That's true. That's true. Because it, it takes it takes everything, especially in this business. This business, people, I was telling an artist, a new artist of mine, that's, for instance, people will look at a beautiful home, be like, man, that home is beautiful. But you don't realize the effort, the work that puts, that it takes to put into making that home, making that 
home of reality. You don't see them digging a hole in the foundation. You don't see them laying a the foundation. Often you don't see them putting the floors and the yeah. walls and the roof in. You all you see is the house. And a lot of times the artists just see the house. They see the finished product and they don't see the building process. And it takes whether you're an artist or whether you want to be in the business, it takes work. It really yeah. takes a lot of work. I tell people all the time, you see the final product, you don't see all the struggle to get to yeah. that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so you worked at Def Jam for how long? You know, I was I was the because we didn't really have full-time jobs because again the labels we did what Who'd we did so they handed the records we ran it it was like that for strong city which is rocket blue candles label def jam profile fourth and broadway uh pop art records which is out of philadelphia right um, you know i remember my first record i worked nationally was um roxanne's revenge i worked along with fred Mineo when he had select records but i also worked pop art records on that so everybody had, you know, it was like almost like it is now. It was the indie labels, people were coming up. Ultramagnetic was on Next Plateau. Song Pebble was on Next Plateau. Yeah. Everything had, everybody had the little small niche. Tommy Boy had their thing, they was popping. Yeah. So it was a little, it was different. You know, the majors snubbed hip hop music. They put their nose up to rap music. Yeah. You know, you couldn't even, there was no such thing as getting a deal or getting an artist on, a, on where we are at Epic or having an artist on Atlantic do well. They looked down at us as far as the rap community and the hip hop community concerned. So it was the only place you could go was the indie labels, yeah. which was fine with us. It was something we did, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so when was your first major, I should say then? Ooh, what was the first major? That's a hard question to answer. So maybe I, I should go back and say, how long did you do the indie labels? And then when? I did indie labels for about 15 years. Yeah. Um, you know, I helped Andre, start out with Uptown. I always say Andre saw what Russell was doing and he wanted to do that, but he wanted to do it a different way with a different type of music. So he wanted to do it with R&B music. So he started Uptown. Mm -hmm. I long helped him with Heavy D when they first record, Mr. Big Stuff. Remember getting that first vinyl. Worked along with a great friend of mine, Troy Shelton. We established a company called Experts, which was Troy Shelton and another gentleman, Daryl Musgrave. So I would say that was probably the biggest signing back then. And then you had a lot of people afterwards get into the business. EMI got in the business a little bit, but MC Hammer, mm -hmm. they did really well with that. Uh, Island had a little boutique record called Fourth and Broadway. You know, of course, you know about Eric B and Rakim and all those great records that came out of there. So the label slowly but surely started to progress into working with the hip hop and these independent labels with their projects. Although they did not, their staffs did not really still understand. I would say probably up to the early 90s so we would say from 83 to at least 91 90 they really didn't even mess with our music wow they, they finally really caught on huh yeah <laughs> and i'm again if this is just me saying i think def jam in 86 80 between 86 and 88 got their first deal with columbia records so they were the first one to go in and have a distribution deal so i did that for 15 years work with uptown and for all the different labels. Yeah. And then my first major job was working for Arista Records. I was brought in to start the rap department at Arista and I stayed on. For a while. So it was a Arista Records at that time was was building um the first groups they had was three times dope out of Philadelphia. Um I got that cassette too. <laughs> wow, that's funny. Uh, K9 Posse. 
Got that cassette too. Great. Um, <laughs> and then they had a few other things, you know, they had a couple other like dance hip hop records, but that's kind of like their foundation that they started. Yeah. Um, a gentleman named Tony Anderson brought me in and, and I stayed there and stayed until the year 2000. I went over there in 1989 and stayed at Arista until 2000. Um, Arista was yeah, more, some of the most incredible yeah. projects and working companies I've ever worked with. You know, they had Arista Records was their mainstay. They had Bad Boy, they had LaFace. Um, one year, I think it was 1989 or 19, I mean, excuse me, 1998 or 1999, they had 57 releases to radio. Wow. And I think that year we probably had about 12 or 15 number one records. You know, we had the likes of, of course, Whitney Houston was the queen. Nothing would, nothing went on. When Whitney Houston came out, everything would go. Whitney so, Houston, straight Whitney Houston. Clive Davis, you knew Clive Davis looked at everything and that was his baby. And if it was a problem, Clive would let you know with Whitney Houston. So when you that first met her, you knew she was a star right off the top? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She wow. definitely yeah, definitely. So, so you stayed at Arista till two thousand. What did you? Where did you go after that? After that, I did a stunt at Priority Records. That was uh, Master P. That was uh, Ice Cube. That was yeah. uh, how was Snoop that? Dog back then. It was a. It was a total different check. With Arista, I got a bit of the Southern uh, hip hop era and, and Southern music because of Outkast and because of Goody Mob. But when you went over to Priority, you had Master P, you had Snoop, you had all those no. type of yeah. different type of records. So it was a lot, it was a different type of learning environment. It was definitely yeah. a learning environment and learning curve. It was just different type of hip hop. So I adjusted to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was a great time. It was only a year, year and a half. Okay. I learned a lot in a year and a half. I I, I saw Master P just like it was amazing what he did with with what, what he had. I mean, like he did amazing. some amazing, amazing yeah. things. Um, and then I saw Snoop Dogg for the first time and experienced the the dog, the Snoop Dogg, the the icon, the guy, yeah. you know. And that's when he left that Me and Snoop Dogg stories, you know. And that's when he um, left I worked with Snoop twice. Yeah, I worked with Snoop twice. I worked with him at Priority. And then when I was a VP at Capital again, I worked with him. Um, he seems like a He's good just guy. Just a great guy to be with. Yeah, great yeah. guy to be with. I met him one time. He seems like a good guy down to earth. Yeah, great guy down to earth. Hang out with you. You hang out with him all day. He's <laughs> just cool, cool dude, cool dude. Great guy. Right. So you, you know? stayed there a year, year and a half. Then where'd you right. go after that? After that, I went over to Jive Records. Um, Jive Records went there from 01 to 07. That was um, R. Kelly. Yes, R. Kelly is a genius, you yeah. know, the, yeah. from the music, from the man, musically, he's a junior, genius. Yeah. Now, as a man, you know, yeah, he speaks for himself. I don't have to say anything about him. He speaks yeah. for himself and what has happened has happened, you know, yeah. in his life. Yeah. But um, musically, I've never seen such a creative person, one of the most creative people. I've oh, them records were probably life. easy to work, right? Those yeah. records were easy. Oh, man. I would see him go in the studio and make a record. <laughs> in like three or four hours, like it was like, like somebody was baking a cake, he would make a, an incredible record. Like, come on, man, that was supposed to be taking two, three weeks, a month, but he yeah. would do it in an instant. Yeah. You know? yeah. Who, who else was that job at, at that time? Uh, Charlie Wilson, we broke Charlie Wilson over there. So he became big. We had Sierra, we had Chris Brown. Wow. We had um, 
we broke um, Usher with the big, huge Usher plaque up there. Yeah. Usher, um, Justin Timberlake, which is on the other side of me over there, uh, Britney Spears, uh, Kirk Franklin, um, a lot of stuff at Gospel was over there as well, because they had Verity Records, a lot of great records over there. Um, and some crossed, right? Some, some, yeah. some, a lot of gospel records were crossed at that yeah, time. Yeah, a lot of gospel records over there. We had a great gospel profile over there and many, 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 many groups over there. Um, had E-40, had Too Short. Um, Too Short was definitely a, 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 a whole nother bag. He's such a cool <laughs> dude on the road with as well, you know? Wow, so you, you yeah. saw some of that stuff too, huh? Oh, yeah, I saw some Too Short <laughs> stuff in my day as well. So Too Short was is really, really a... a uh, a great guy as well. I enjoyed my times with him, hanging out with him and just doing stuff and doing promotions with him. Um, very serious about his job though. He is, he, you might think he's a fun guy, but he's, he's down to get his hands dirty and get some business done. I mean, he's so still he was doing really this. great at business. Yeah. He still put out records. Yeah. He still put out a record. Yep. Yeah. T-Pain was, uh, one of our records that we first discovered T-Pain. I just saw him just come out of nowhere and just just no blow up all over the place. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of great records. P.D. Pablo back in the day. We had great records with P.D. Pablo. I mean, we had a really, we at Jive Records, a really great uh, roster. And as well as at that point when we were working at one time, Arista folded into Jive Records. So I picked up Outcast again, that huge, the speaker box project, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the old Arista records on artists came back. Anthony Hamilton. Um, I often talk about Anthony Hamilton. People wonder how long does some people's career took. Anthony Hamilton was first signed at Uptown Records in 1988. He really didn't break until like 2003 and 2002. Yeah. Yeah. So he he had a number of years, almost 17 years before he broke. You but he was consistent working. and started. You talk yeah, about working talk and about putting working. in the time. He yeah. put the time in. You know? Somebody working weekends yeah. and nights, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, had Khalees, that was a different thing. Had the Clips, that was a dope joint, you yeah. know. Like uh, it was great times over at, at Jive Records. We had some really, really good times at Jive Records. From Jive Records, I went back over to Capitol Records as a VP. Mm. Um, had Snoop Dogg again, Tyrese, Anita Baker, Cali Swag District, Twister. Um... Wow. Yeah, a lot of artists. I'm trying to think. Uh, Avant, um, Vivian Green. Wow, um, good albums. A lot of those artists I still have in my consulting business, like Tyrese. I was talking to Tyrese he's about to put out a project, we hope, within in 2022. And that relationship was brought about through me working at a major label. Yeah. So at this point in time, I have a, a consulting company. I have a marketing company and promotion company. I have a management company, I have a distribution company, and I'm a senior vice president over at SRG. So I'm wearing four hats, man, right now. Yeah, staying busy. I appreciate the time. <laughs> staying yeah. busy. So, yeah. so what, what, what do you think keeps your passion all this time? What do you, what do you think? Just because the love of the music. It's the love of the music. I just love what I do. Come on, how can you, how can you, not love music? People that don't love music, I kind of don't trust. You say you don't like music. I'm like, whoa. Something, yeah. something's really wrong with you. I don't, you know? listen, I don't like no, I don't, I don't no. like nobody. What? No, right. <laughs> music is something that is like, it doesn't cost you a thing and can just change your whole mood. It can put you places. I mean, it's music is just a, a such a great amplifier for life. Yes. Without music, I, 
Uh, my life would be horrible. Would be to me. It would be. You know. That's a fact. Um. So every day I wake up, I'm just glad I wake up and do what I do every day. Yeah. I, I have been blessed to travel the world because of music. I've seen many things that without music I probably would have never seen. Um. I mean, this business has afforded me such many beautiful things in my life that I, mm -hmm. I, I'm so blessed to still do it. Yeah. How do you think it's changed now versus <laughs> then? How do you? Ooh, this business has changed so, so much and it evolves every day. It always evolves. Let me just say from the beginning of time, it's just music is an evolving yeah. thing. It, it never stays the same and people that stay the same in this business uh, get lost. They get lost in transition. Right now, everything is uh, DSPs. Everything is yeah. everything is you're personally doing everything on your phone. Your phone is important. You gotta have two phones. You gotta have three phones. The phones is where we get our content from. Yeah, and it's about how do you get your content. You know, yeah. I I often when I'm taking an Uber, um, I often ask the driver. Many times they're probably a younger person, 30, 30 or younger, sometimes a little bit older. But I ask them how do they consume their music, and most people these days consume their music on DSPs. It's funny, I got on a car the other day, Uber the other day, and the guy was listening to the radio. And I was like, wow, you listen to the radio? He said, yeah, I do listen to the radio. So again, it's about consumption. And you have to know how your music is being consumed. Very and true. DSP is how music is being consumed with a certain age demo. Now, old de demo, somebody that's 50 years old, not as much they're gonna go on their DSPs and listen to music, but they will go and have a, a personal, download a copy or they'll have a CD or they'll go listen to the radio. But yeah. somebody 40 or younger, they're listening to their own playlist or somebody's playlist and they're on the DSPs listening. So you have to effectively market your music to people that normally don't listen to the way they did for the last 60 years. And that was getting their music through the radio. Yeah. You've got to do other things and be innovative. Um, Instagram is our friend. Facebook is our friend. Twitter is our friend now. Yeah. TikTok is our friend now. If you're an artist and you're not doing all those things, you're not in the music business. You're not yeah. messing around. Yeah, yeah. So um, it leads me to my next question. You kind of answered a little bit. How do you think an artist should prepare to be in the um, music industry? Um, I think first of all, thing an artist has to do is figure out where they want to be in six months and where they want to be in a year. Mm -hmm. You've got to put together your own plan and say, this is where I want to be. You can't just say, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to do this. you got to put a plan together. And that plan has to be where I want to be in six months. If I'm at 5,000 uh, uh, followers in six months, I might want to be at 20 grand. I might be aggressive, but that's what I want to do in six months. Yeah. If I get half of that, now I know my next stuff in the next six months, I need to do that. It's about building your fan base right now. So building your fan base is a process of you doing many things to let your fans know about you. Mm -hmm. engaging with your fans you have to engage with your fans so that is very important and everyone does it differently every artist is different every music is different so there's not one set way to engage with your fan base right. some people might be engaged better with their fan base after they do a live show maybe they're on the show performing and their fan base grows through that maybe other people's fan base grows because they hear their record in a strip club maybe right. somebody else's fan base grows because they hear their record on a commercial so there are so many different different variations of expanding and marketing your particular type of music. You just have to find out a way and keep inventing and reinventing and inventing and reinventing it yourself until you get uh, a formula 
and you get those people to consistently follow you. Right, right. So I guess that will lead to my next question. Do you think an artist still needs a major record company to make it? Funny you should say that because for the real, most of these major record companies, unless you got over a million followers or a million streams, they're not paying attention. They ain't even gonna look at you. They're not. So you have to kind of build your own, you have to build your own brand. You have to build it yourself because there's nobody gonna come out there and build your brand unless you were signed by Drake. Drake saw something in you Correct. and you were signed by Drake or yeah. some major person. But a label is not gonna come to you unless you got some numbers on the board. And they don't got care how the record sounds, right? They don't, don't even care, care how the record sounds. Or yeah. what the record, what is the record is about. As long as you got those numbers, it's about numbers to them. Yeah. There's somebody sitting in a room just looking at how many views somebody has on a record or how many streams somebody has on a record, look it up and then they're going to find it. There's programs for that that yeah. people use that the labels use now. Yeah. And you can't lie to anybody. It's all there, no. right? No, it's there. People that try to buy streams, they know about it too. They know. You know? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's about you right now building your brand the best way you can. Amazingly, I think a lot of people going back to where I live, build, build around what I have around me and then build from there a particular one base and build that city, then build that region, then build nationally. Right. There used to be a time about 10 years ago, everybody tried to put out a record nationally. These days, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, like some of the biggest artists of these days, Megan Thee Stallion, which I consult and work over at 300 with, mm -hmm. she broke out of Houston. She broke out of one market. She didn't break out of a lot of markets. Yep. Houston, she kept putting out records in Houston. The box kept playing it. And yep. all of a sudden one of her records became a number one record at the box. It spread. Yep. Yep. Same thing with T Grizzly, which is another 300 artist out of Detroit. Yep. He had a record out. You know, it built at one station, just one station. It kept building. The numbers got building and big. And then all of a sudden the research kicked in and it built and it grew from there. A yeah. lot of times that's what's happening these days. Spot them, got them. It's the same way right now. Yeah. It's about building your regional, your city picture, your regional picture and take it from there. So you, so you would recommend an artist starting in their hometown and just working out say, from there? Or, or producer's hometown or pick up, pick one market. Pick one market and work yeah. out, right? If you, if you were in like, I don't know, Boise, Idaho, you might want to go to Chicago to, to build or something like that. Boise, Idaho might not be the market you build out of, yeah. but it might be as well. You never know. Right, right. You know, streaming is international. You, you put it out there, you might get people you never know from Africa, from Europe, from Australia, from China. You never know. Yeah, from you Japan, never know. You don't know. Yeah. But you give it to them, you give the option, and then you go out there and you market and you promote. You constantly work it. You constantly curate it. You keep constantly moving around. You constantly figure out something new. You constantly put out content. Another thing is a lot of people, these artists right now, the real smart ones ain't putting out long, long songs. They putting out short, short, short records. Yeah, some. So you can go back and listen right? to it again. Dang, that record was two minutes long. Yeah, it's two only minutes, one, verse, one verse. One right. verse. <laughs> right. So do you do you think an unsigned artist should worry about radio early on or not? No. I, I think radio was one of the last things you can do. It used to be one of the first things you go and get a mix show, but it, I kind of you've got to build your you got to build your fan base. Just because you got a record on the radio, a label's not gonna come to your time. They don't care about that, right? Now, if you got a now if you got a half a million followers, and every time you post something, thirty thousand people are saying something about it. Oh, you they coming to jump on? They are gonna give you some money, throw money at you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's funny because, and I think you're probably gonna say the same thing. When a label comes to you, you're probably gonna end up with a better deal. You're gonna right? get a big bag. Your bag is gonna be crazy. Yeah. So yeah. It, it makes sense also. 
to build you and invest in yourself because your bag is going to be bigger if you do better. The more you have, the more that you can show them that you're doing on your own, the bigger bag they're going to throw at you. Yep, yep. But again, you guys can follow me at Uncle Craig Davis at Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well, Uncle Craig Davis. They gave me the Uncle Craig Puffy did uh, when he first started working with me. So that name is stuck. So I'm Uncle Craig. Um, also, my company is Music Matters Entertainment. Um, if you go on the website, it's www.wearemusicmatters.com. And uh, Mel, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I just want to tell you one more thing. Uh, over at SRG, we've got a label over there that that is um, building R&B, some from vintage artists, classic okay. artists like a Brian McKnight or a uh, uh, Avant. And then we've got some great new artists that we're building as well. Um, I'm over at SRG, Craig at SRG.com. SRGILS is the website. Go check it out. We've got Raheem Devon. We got After Seven. Got Take Six. We got Brian McKnight. We got Ralph Tresman. We got Johnny Gill. Um, we've got some new signings coming from the gospel world. We've got Warren Campbell's My Block, who has Erica Campbell, the Wall Group, and Enjoy star so we're uh we're gearing up we've got some new releases we're getting ready to start out with and uh i think it's going to be a great 2022 uh thank you mel for your time hope we can come back and talk about this pandemic and how everybody's moving with the pandemic because that's a whole nother issue whole we can talk issue. about how we're doing touring and how we're trying to move around during this definitely pandemic did. because yeah. it's it's been definitely a challenge last year nobody worked yeah. it was rough on everybody people yeah. lost homes people lost lives it was a bad year, so we're trying to come back. Um, there's some states out there that are hog wild, do as you want, and in other states, you can't even walk in a building without your vaccine. Yeah. So I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah. Mel, I appreciate you. Thank you for the time. No My problem, guy. I appreciate it. All right, baby.